Hey, welcome to episode 40. I can't believe that we are already here at episode 40, and I'm excited to introduce you to Pastor Glenda Fields. She's a church planter in Detroit, and she talks about, in this episode, we talk about racism, we talk about COVID, a little bit about gentrification, uh, and then she shares her testimony. So get ready to go to church. And you might want to hit pause, get some tissues. You're going to need them once or twice in this episode. So listen all the way to the end so you don't miss any of the good stuff and enjoy every minute. We really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we just start telling the stories? and really flood the airwaves with something different. It's doing, it's doing a thing in my church community and in my ministry community. When I say church community, I'm talking about the congregation. Right. And then it's doing a thing in my, in my community. Right. But, um, it's interesting. So, okay, really quick, and then I'll, you can, I'll, we have, you know, our neighborhood is being gentrified. It's being what? Gentrified. Gentrified. And this is the term, Glenda didn't put that term there. This is the term that I have come to know since being there in 2016. This is the term by which the city of Detroit officials who've come to our community to talk to us have, this is the term they've used. This is the term that the residents of Jefferson Chalmers use, gentrification, gentrified. And what that means is that our homes that were run down, uh, abandoned, um, not livable, foreclosed on, they are uh, now being um, bought by people from different states, countries, cities. When I say countries, I mean Paris, I mean China and Australia, Oregon, Denver, Washington, New York, California. So why are they buying Nashville? Why are they buying your houses? Because they're being given grants to buy our houses. Somebody who knows somebody who's not saying a word, but these real estate people are seeking folks out to invest in the Jefferson Chalmers community. And so they're giving them grants and they're allowing them to buy these houses. The thing about buying houses in the city of Detroit is you have to live in them. But we have houses that are owned by people that live out of state, but they're not being habitated, inhabited. And so it's uh, it's that's the, the, the thing that's going on in our community. And that's where I'm that person that encourages them to keep faith in God. And so I go to the meetings with them and they give me t-shirts to wear. So is and this, okay, so help me understand this. What is the purpose of this? Is, is it supposed to be helpful or not? Gentrification. I'm sorry. Um, moving these people in is supposed to help them. Help the people, you know, you, you get to come into the city, live in the city, enjoy the gems of the city. It doesn't help the people in the city because 
the house, like Melissa, Melissa has a beautiful house. Her dad owns two houses on the block. She, her son wants to buy the house next door. Now, since we've been there, the house has not been inhabited. It hasn't been inhabited for the last 10 years. And so he's been trying to buy that house for the last 10 years. Right. And he can't. Then there's a house across the street, directly across the street from me that, that was not inhabited. And we inquired trying to get that house. We couldn't. And now we have new neighbors from Denver. The house next door to them are our new neighbors from California. And so that's what keeps happening. And so they're like, well, how come we can't buy these houses on our street, in our communities, on our blocks? And, and, and we have a flood. Our community, which was 70 to 80% black is now half and half. And so the term, I don't know where that term came from, but that's the term that has been used. So how do we deal with this? How do we grow with this? And and so it's happening. So it's not like you kick them out. That's their house. So how do you welcome them into the community and make them a part of the community? And then we have social uh, social app. And so you get to voice your opinions, but don't get on there and say, well, I lived in a safe neighborhood. Now I'm in this place and, and I'm pulling my hair out because... Well, you had a choice. You didn't have to move into the neighborhood. Right. That's what we're dealing with. It, and so this racial thing, the way that we're dealing with it is like that. Pinky up, sip of coffee. Yeah. The way that it affects us in the community, it's, it's a lot of old people in that community. And they're educated people. In that community. When I say old, I mean older. 60s, 70s, 80s. And they are, they have worked. They have retired from their careers as lawyers, doctors, instructors, nurses. And they bought their homes and, and invested. And it's a, it's a beautiful community. Um, the majority of the people, we have a lot of churches and those churches are attended. And even with Gateway, when we moved on the block and we started, we let them know about Gateway. They, they started coming. Right. People from the community and we were able to connect with them in the community, connect and, and bring Jesus to them in a way where we were doing good. And that made a difference. Somebody being around to pray with them when they were having a difficult time. Don't be anxious. Think about what God's already done for you. And if he's brought you this far, he won't leave you. Things like that, that encourage them. And so now uh, that we've had this pandemic, we don't give up on that strategy, but we really come together. How can we, as the people of God, as a church, how can we help others through this time? We can go shopping for people and take things to them. We can find out like from the senior citizen building, what do they need and take those things to them. Um, now that the weather is pleasant, we can have outdoor Bible studies and right. observe social distancing. So, yeah. Okay. So where are you serving right now? Tell me, tell me about Gateway. Oh, Gateway. Okay. <laughs> Gateway Church of the Nazarene located at 213 Marlboro in Detroit, Michigan is a ministry that started, it began as a church without walls ministry. And um, what we were doing before we got to Marlboro, before we got to Gateway, 
um, we were traveling Bible study. And when I say we, it was me and this other lady, but we would go to people's houses and we pray for them and do Bible study. And if they had a need, we'd help them and, you know, cutting grass, raking leaves, shoveling snow, taking out trash, taking the trash can, whatever they had a need for that we could see, we would meet that need. And then, um, having prayer breakfast so that they could come and pray. We could pray with them and then have another prayer breakfast to say, Oh God answered this prayer and that prayer to encourage them. Um, the church without walls started before gateway. When we moved into the residence at 213 Marlboro, I remember I was at a, I was at a, my first pastor's meeting district license. I had just got district license. And so that, that we had our, our pastor's meeting and I was reading. No, I was listening and I had my Bible. And so I flipped my Bible over to Zechariah chapter eight, verse nine. And it said that your hands may be strong. And so I was thinking when I, when I, when I saw that, I was thinking, Oh wow, God's really going to bless somebody in here. You know, this is a great message for somebody in here. And so I was like, wow. And then God said, I was talking to you. I was like, what? Um, It says here, this is in Zechariah chapter eight, verse nine. This is what the Lord Almighty says to, uh, he says, you who now hear these words spoken by the prophets who were there when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. And I was like, wow. And so I, I'm thinking that they got, I'm already thinking about the church without walls ministry. And God is talking to me about the church spreading. Cause when I moved into the residence, February 16th, when I moved into the residence, I was thinking about the person that was there and the ministry they were doing. And I said, Lord, I want to do something here too. And so he said, okay, on February 25th, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. And so at first I was like, oh, that's a good news for somebody else. And God said, no, that was for you. And <laughs> I remember you standing I, up and sharing that word. I said that. And so when he said that was for me, I just started crying. Me? What does that mean? And so you got to be careful what you tell your husband who's a visionary. And so he goes, that was, you know, that was for you. And God said, we're going to do this. And so gateway, I asked for permission. I, I prayed about it and God was talking to me about uh, doing ministry at gateway, but it would not be the type of ministry, a traditional type of ministry. It would be a connecting people to Christ ministry. It would be a doing, being the church ministry instead of having the building. And he, and he was explaining to me that the building, the purpose for the building was for discipleship training. And so that's why we would have church service for discipleship training. And, and I was to tell the people and, and encourage them to learn who God was, what his voice sound like, how to follow his voice and what it meant to be a disciple following Christ. And so I was like, okay, that's, that's, that's good. I could do that. You know, I can, hmm. And so I started calling people. I want to plant this church. I don't know how to plant churches. And so I'm calling people. I'm on district phone and I'm calling people. And I'm like, I want to, I, I know that God's called me to plant a church. Dr. Gardner's like, yeah, woo, woo, go. You know him. 
right? And so I said, okay, who do I talk to? And so some months had gone past a lot of time. So I'm just reading a scripture about discipleship training. I'm talking and I'm in school at Nazarene Bible College and I'm talking to my professors about church planting, planting. Yep. Talk to Mark Montgomery. He directed me to send Mark. Mark was in like Chicago or something like that. He was, he's not, he was, he was out of Michigan at the time I talked to him. Right. And so he said, talk to Mark and Cindy Rydell. No, he said, uh, Alan, he told me to talk to Alan Deuce. And I, I left message after message after message. I was like, Mark, I can't get in touch with them. And so he said, well, Mark and Cindy Rydell. So I called Mark and Cindy Rydell. Cindy got in touch with me. She's like, I don't know what to tell you. This is what we're doing. <laughs> And so I was like, it's got to be somebody. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And then Joanne Bastine. And I was like, okay. And so then it was like, I had to go back into my memory. And I remember her starting a church. I didn't understand church plant and everything. And I needed a mentor. I needed a mentor, somebody that I respected, somebody that was going to pray with me, pray for me, not make fun of me, be patient with me. Okay, not to say that anybody else would have, but <laughs> here's Joanne. And then not only that, and it all is part of the story because then you showed me church planting on the books. I still have those books. The pages are a little bit frayed. I have used um, these phases in my, my preaching. I have used these phases in my conversation. And so um, how did God say a planted church? But it won't be a regular church. It'll be an organic church. And to go alongside that organic church, I have a garden. I started out with a field full of glass and weeds. You and did. It was a mess. And when we I cut can't. it down, it was one flower box full of dirt. I looked at it and I was like, Lord, what am I supposed to do with that? I don't even know. I barely am good at houseplants. But that's what he called me to do. And so for years he gave me, I was preaching and teaching the parable of the sower and learning the parable of the sower. And, and so I had two passages for years and they are still Isaiah chapter five, verses one through seven about the vineyard. And so here I am pulling rocks and glass out of places to make this place a vineyard. And the first year it was a good produce but I saw a lot of bugs had eaten through this and through that and and so I just learned that that's what God does with us plant the seed water it and now you gotta learn how to clear around it now you gotta learn how to take care of it and that is connected to the gateway ministry so yeah we're connecting people to Christ but there's some clearing that has to be done yep. and there is some rocks that need to come up Oh yeah. People and forget that's the hard work. That's the hard work. And and a lot of times, depending on the size of the vineyard, it's a one man job or it's a ten man job. My next message is God gives me some great messages. My next one is me and my tens. Exodus eighteen. Moses was told, You need to get some people to help you. You get to, you need someone who's gonna be the captain of tens. Fifties, hundreds, thousands. Yep. And so my next message is me and my tens. 
Um, it is a place where we do good in the community, encouraging people, helping to meet needs. We go and we pray. Um, it's more of us going than people actually coming to the building. And I'm grateful for the building. And you guys, you have the urban garden. That's a pretty big deal. Yes. And then you, I forgot the name of the program. Tell me the name of the food program you guys um, Meet Up, Eat Up. Yeah, Meet Up, Eat Up. Meet Up, Eat Up. Um, it's through Forgotten Harvest. And we do it every summer. We have a, a program. They will give us the lunches. All, all we're really technically supposed to do is just give away the lunches. But we, Gateway, put a program around it in the garden. And it's teaching the kids about gardening. And the first year that we did it and the kids planted and saw their produce come up, they started eating their vegetables. So when they would deliver cucumbers and the, and the kids said, oh, this what our cucumbers going to look like? Let me see what it tastes like. So they started eating cucumbers, broccoli, beets, radishes, spinach, kale, the different types of kale, tomatoes, um, because they were planting these things and they saw them coming up. And then we had, um, that was the program around that program. We had, uh, teens come in to do work in the garden. And so the teens would, um, help keep the garden, you know, clean and weed free. And it's interesting because, um, I would give them, um, parables while they were doing working in the garden. And so the one that stuck with them for the three years, was the parable of the wheat and the tares. And so um, they'd be doing their job and say, Pastor, I found a wheat. Oh, wait a minute. Is this a tare? Because <laughs> I, I showed them uh, what a wheat looked like, what a tare looked like. And then in the garden, I showed them what a weed looks like and what a flower looks like. And sometimes they were so close that you would like, let me see, what is it? The marigolds. They have... Um, they have the look of a weed. I think it's the, the queen something, but it has a look of a weed. And so they were learn, able to learn the difference and that helped them to, uh, with their peer pressure to, to be able to discern what, who's a good person to hang out with and who not. Well, isn't that true? Mm-hmm. How much some weeds look like flowers or edible plants and yeah. how much that is true in the church? Yes. That it's yes. real easy to look like a follower of Jesus and mm-hmm. not actually be a follower of Jesus. That's good. We went from four to six teens to 10 to 20. And what would happen is at lunchtime, we would sit down and eat lunch. It would be the workers and the children. We'd sit down and eat the lunches and then we would talk. We would, we would have a chance, ask the pastor. And so the little kids would ask questions. The teens would ask questions. And each lunchtime, I would get more kids, more teens. And they would come from their different sites to our site to eat, you know, different work sites. They would ask, so, so why is this? And one of the questions that they had was, why are there no youth in, in the church? And I said, why don't you go to church? And so then they, they said, because there's nothing to do. I said, well, what would you like to do in the church? We would like to have this and do this and do that. I said, well, then go to church and let them know that that's what will bring you and others to church. Put it in place. Oh, okay. So they all said, oh, okay. 
But two of them came back and said they, they took it to their church and things changed. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So the, the summer, the forgotten harvest summer lunch program, we won't be able to meet because of COVID, but we'll still have the grab and go. And so we'll be doing, putting together grab and go crafts too, to go with the lunches. Cause we usually would have did a program with a craft. Right. So we'll um, put crafts together and put them in bags and send them to our garden was um, featured in a tour with um, keep growing Detroit, which is, which they give everybody their seeds for gardening. They have a place uh, in on the East side and on the West side that distribute seeds and produce. And so we were one of the five that was featured in a tour. Hi. Um, Yes. And people got out and they took pictures and we had two people come by and sow a seed into the garden, a physical and a financial seed. Yes. The garden, Gateway Garden, United Way came and they helped build boxes and um, everything. And then um, our churches. So I'm part of the Church of the Nazarene. And I'm a, um, we're a missional church. And so when we had our missions, I got a chance to get interviewed and talk about Gateway. And God was talking to me about companion planting. So I read the books and then I was reading the scripture and, and in Acts and how all people had all things in common. And so I asked if my church family could have all things in common with us and we could do some companion planting and, and folks could come. And so Devonair came, um, Orchard Ridge came, um, Lapeer, Holly, East Flint, or, uh, man, churches. And they were coming in and they were not only planting, but they were sowing into the gateway ministry. And every time somebody came, my neighbors driving up and down the street saw, and that drew them in there like, what are they doing? What are you guys doing here? That works. You find out who works good together. And, and with the companion planting, onions and carrots grow good together. And they're miracles and it enriches the soil and it promotes growth. Um, what else grows good you mean, together? You mean there's supposed to be diversity? In the garden? It's supposed to be. And it enriches the soil? It enriches the soil. You could preach that. I did. <laughs> I, I preached. Preach. Yes. And another one we planted, um, Orchard Ridge came out and there was a weed about this tall. But it was growing out of rocks. And so a kid goes over there and he tries to pull it up. And all he did was break the top off. And so he's pulling and tugging. And so then Dr. Pastor Steve Barkey comes over. He's got a spade shovel. And he says, young man, that's not the way you pull up a weed. You want to get it by his roots. And so he said, this is what we're going to do. And so he starts to dig around the weed. And he puts his weight in there. He's not a little guy. And he shovels and he goes all around showing this kid. But now he has a crowd, including me. (laughs) And so he's going around and and he goes the length of the spade and he digs and it's still not coming up. And so this hole starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. This pastor was like, oh, I can preach this. (laughs) Right. Okay. And so dirt is coming up and rocks is coming up and glasses. And and what was that thing? I don't know. And he's still trying to dig and he almost dug a two foot hole to get to that root. 
And when he did and he brought it up, everybody was like, yay. And some people were like, whoa, look at that root. That's why you got to get them while they're small. That's why you got to get them while they're small. Yeah. And you got to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to do that. Make that hole in your heart or in your spirit or wherever that root of bitterness is settled in. You got to let him do that work to get it out. And so what do we do with that big old hole? We filled it. That's what God does. We filled it with the soil and then we covered it with the black stuff so that the weeds wouldn't come back up. And then we covered it back up with rocks. That was good. Yeah. But we had the community at that event. We had Orchard Ridge and we had the gateway community come and do a, a garden cleanup to prepare the garden. So it's a lot of work in planting. You got to get that stuff out the way. It's a lot of work in planting. You need a community to do it. It's a lot of work because you need faith and you need muscle. You need endurance and, and strength. And that comes from God. I think maybe we all need to plant gardens. I do. We'd have I a agree. better understanding of what it means to mm-hmm. plant and raise up a church. Yes. Even if you just do one one little box, you because ju- you, you'll see... Overnight, you'll come out and you'll see the growth, but then you'll see other stuff. And so I didn't put that there. Where'd that come from? And if you don't tend to it, then it'll take over. There's a vine that grows. It's so slick. It will grow alongside the flower first, the vegetation. And then it just winds its way up. Just slowly, and if you water it, you'll come back and it may be here. The next day it'll be here. And it just winds its way up. And if you don't tend to it first and pull it up by the roots and then untangle it, it'll choke that thing out. And then before you know it, it's just a stick holding up this vine. But God is giving me experience in that garden every day. So I spend more time in the garden than I have before. During the covid I'm using that garden to connect people to Christ and and deliver some some goods to them. They even like looking at the pictures. Now you grew up, you did not grow up in the church. No. Wait, you were born in St. Louis? I was born in St. Louis. We went to church as kids. And then that was it. Um, Born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, came here. And we used to live in Detroit. And then we moved back to St. Louis. And we came, I came back in 81, 1981, 16, pregnant, had my first child at 16, I'm I'm sorry, at 17, um, in a strange land, had another kid at 18, had another kid at 20, and then it just kept going until I got to my 30s and I had my 10th child at 33, 34-ish. One died. One of my kids died. I had a son. He was my fifth child. No, he was my sixth. Because I had four girls and a boy at first. And it's interesting because I was talking to uh, Michael. But I was addicted to drugs. Being here, not having anybody to connect with. The family I was connected with were drug addicts, alcoholics. I love them, but that's what their history was. And so that's what you do. You do whatever the environment dictates because that's what you know. And so I was hooked for some time and I had some children. The one 
she was okay. They kept her for a couple of days. She was okay. The second, um, they said he had 24 hours to live. I, I was not a praying person, but I called my mom and said, Hey, it's a boy. Pray for him so he can live. And then I went on about getting high. But the third one, I was like, okay, he's going to be all right. Just tell my mama she'll pray. But that's not what happened. And that was in 1991. And he died. I had him. In 1991, um, when he died in 92, May of 92, I was like, I've done a bad thing and I just want to die. So I was trying to smoke enough to bust my heart open. That wasn't happening. December 6, 1992, God asked me if I wanted to live or if I wanted to die. And I know it was God. I wasn't going to church or anything. I just know he's the only one that can like talk to you like that. And so he says, do you want to live or do you want to die? I said, I want to live. But if you let me live, you got to take this drug away from me because it's going to kill me. And so he took it away. And um, I start going to church and then I got offended and I stopped going to church. Then I start going to church again, but I got confused. So I stopped going to church and then I start going to church again. And I was like, OK, God is real, right? He is real. And. He must be talking to me, pulling me. My mom kept saying, you're going to be a pastor. I'm like, no, I'm just going to be a mother that goes to church. But he kept pulling me. And then a really great thing happened. I rededicated my life to Christ. And when I say rededicated, I was like, Lord, I'm a mess, but you can fix messes. And so one day at a time, one step at a time. And so, but I need somewhere to go to grow. I need to be in the right place. So I waited and waited. I took my day off. I think I told you about that. I took a day off to wait to hear. It was a Wednesday. I wanted God to lead me to where he wanted me to be. So I waited, waited. And then finally, somebody from Grace Church to the Nazarene knocked on my door, invited me to Bible study. I went, enjoyed the teaching. I found out about the Church of the Nazarene. And I was like, God loves me so much. Everybody should be a part of the Church of the Nazarene, should belong to the Church of the Nazarene. <laughs> I, I've learned so much about diversity. I've learned so much about being missional. I've learned so much about church planting and what it means to plant, build. I've learned so much about fellowship. I've learned so much about the importance of learning. I've learned so much. And then I have a lot of friends. I came up here by myself, but I have a lot of friends. And these are the kind of friends that I wouldn't be embarrassed to take home. They pray for me. Um, they help me. And they're not ashamed of me. Being part of the Church of the Nazarene and learning how to live sanctified. And so that was, that was be holy for I'm holy. That's why I learned that. And then it's something because the, um, I got there in June 2001, and then I got married in October 2001. Are you going to talk about that? The day after I got married, when God called me to ministry, and I was like, you were just waiting for me to get married and get right, and he called me to ministry, and that was awesome. He called me, knowing my past and knowing all the things that I had done, and he called me. Don't you just... Think about how good God is and that he waited. He, and then I thought about my whole life and God's prevenient grace over me. I thought about his hand in my life all those years so he could see me at the altar on 
October 22nd, 2001 and say, I've called you. And then what, how many years later, then he said, I've called not just to minister and to serve, but to pastor me. What a great responsibility. I'm like, what experience do I have? Glenda, Michelle, Andrea, Nathan, Nathaniel, Jessica, Daniel, Mike, Kissy. How about that? How about all the times that, that you've been put in, in a leadership position and you've progressed? It wasn't just so you could pop your collar. It was just God giving you the experience. <sighs> yeah. All of these things. And he was just preparing me. And he said that he had plans for me. Okay, plans that I would, I'm, I'm going very careful. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said he had plans for me that I would prosper and succeed and not fail. And all that time I thought that that meant financially. And what he was talking about was blessing me in the ministry and calling me to be his servant. That's what he was talking about. After knowing everything that I have done, the sins that I've committed to know that God reached down in that pit. And pull me up out of that miry clay, out of that muck, out of that everything. And then he washed me in the blood of Jesus. And then he set me on a solid foundation, which is Jesus. And then he gave me new life. He breathed new life into me through his spirit. And he sanctified me with his word and with his spirit. And so who wouldn't want to share this God with other people that say he can do it for you? And the same way that he did it for me, every day that he breathed his life into me, there was another opportunity because he wake us up with him on our minds. And so you can either ignore it or you can say, you know what? Thank you, Lord, for waking me up today. I've been able to encourage people to just trust God a day at a time, a moment at a time. And and with my testimony, we read in the Bible where one minute David was a shepherd and then the next minute he was a king, but he didn't step into it. And I've been trying to show people how God works with us day by day, moment by moment to build us up. We had recently, we had the message from Deuteronomy chapter eight, where God tells the children of Israel, this is why I brought you through the wilderness. I looked up and, and it would have been at most a six week trip for all these people. Why did it take 40 years? So why is it taking you 40 years, 50 years, 60? Why is it taking you so long? God wants to spend time with you. He wants to put his word in you. He wants to instruct you in living. Are you going to be one of the ones that die before you get to the promised land? I never saw, and, and I just got so many texts and so many messages. I, I didn't look at it like that. We have to, amidst this, this moment, instead of wishing this COVID away, let's look at it as going through the wilderness. What is God trying to teach us in this? How is he trying to show us his power in this? What are you getting out of this? Think about this. You're still here. Your family, most of your family is still here. You're still eating. You still have a roof over your head. You can still turn the lights on. You still got the use of your limbs and faculties and clothed in your right mind. What is God has already done for you? What more can he do for you? How about if you do for him? What can I do? Take a day and say, today I won't cuss. Just for today. <laughs> and every time you get ready to cuss, look in the, look in the Bible, just open it up. 
and read something every time you want to cuss. But what will you go get a garden? <laughs> That's all a lot of problems, right? It will. Start a garden. <laughs> it would. Because then your, your, your concentration would be somewhere else. People, I can't wait to reopen so I can do this and do that. All this time, don't you think that the children of Israel wanted to just go ahead and get to the place? Yeah. Why do we have this COVID? Why are we in the house? Are you listening? When it's time for us to cross over, he'll open the door. Right. And then we'll cross over, uh, encourage people and enlighten and instructed a people led by God and the spirit of God, right. a, a people that's been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Come on. Yeah. 40, it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Might It might take us more than three months to get. Yeah. To purge the church mm-hmm. in America of some issues. Let's talk about those issues. Talk about those issues. Because I'm, I'm, my friends, I have, I love my neighbors and they love me. I know they do. There's this one neighbor, whenever she's got something going on, she'll pop up in the garden and I'll look out. If she's in there long enough for me to see her, then that means, um, can we talk? And so we'll go out and we'll be talking about the, the garden and everything. And of course I'll have, a parable to share from the, from the word of God. And she'll say something like, Linda, that's why I like talking to you because you always have encouraging words. What other encouraging words would you like to hear? What's going on? And then that opens up our conversation. And she says that I am, she said, God really loves you because he listens to you. Whenever I ask you to pray for me, he answers prayer. This is the same lady that says she was an atheist when I first moved on the block. And then um, the year later, she said that she had finally started reading her Bible. Did she come to Gateway? No. But she sows into Gateway through the garden. And she will listen to what God says in the garden. That's a good place for me. I'll meet her in the garden. The lady across the street um, had surgery. And she doesn't have family here and she needed somebody and she trusted me with her keys and with her babies. Her babies are dogs and cats. Took care of them, medicated them, kept the house and then took care of her when she got home until somebody could come and help her. And it brought tears to her eyes. Why are you so kind? Why are you so good? You don't know me. I said, yes, I do. You're my friend, my sister. The guy across the street has, um, He takes medicine for issues, but he finds peace when we talk. That's my people. Encouraged now. He's cutting his grass now. He he did some repairs on the fence. He fixed the garden box. It's full of weeds, but he fixed it. (laughs) You know? And so people, our presence is making a difference in those lives. And that makes it, that's good. And they're Caucasian. And so they're like, okay, do we sit and do we, do we just stay to ourselves or, you know, what do we do? No, this is your home. This is your community too. Well, what should we say? So they have questions and I have questions and they want to know, how do I feel as a black person about racism? I'm from St. Louis. Okay, I did not escape it, even in the 70s. 
when I was growing up, 60s and 70s, when I was growing up, we didn't escape it. But that doesn't make, that doesn't dictate how I treat people. So um, we talked and they want to know what can they say or do to help at this time. Just be nice, be yourself. You know, you're not racist, right? And they said, no. Okay, good. Don't hold any meetings, you know. (laughs) Don't burn any crosses. (laughs) Now we're on. You had a march. It was a a protest march, but we weren't invited. We're on the social app next door and they didn't say, okay, we're going to be doing this on such and such a day. Join us in Gross Point. And they're connected with us. And so my question is, what's your point in doing this? What's your point? We know what we would like to see happen, but what's your point, especially if you don't invite us to walk with you? Um, some people are doing things out of fear to make sure that their stuff's not bothered, if I can say it like that. And then some people really want to see change. And it goes both ways. And so what do we do about that conversation um, is let them know that God, from a church perspective, God is not a respect of persons. He made every last one of us. His breath, his breath is in every last one of us. His blood flows through all of our veins. His blood, the blood of his son, Jesus, cleansed all of us, redeemed all of us. There's no color. There's no Jew, Gentile, Greek, male, female. And so that's where we have to stay in our um, position socially, that God is not a respect of persons. He doesn't say, oh, if that's a black person, I can't heal them. But there are some injustices that that man made, even the people in ministry. There are some, some, some things, some decisions that they make based on their environment and how they came up. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. Even in the Church of the Nazarene, it's hard. It's there, but we don't point fingers. What we do is we pray And we just trust God that these issues will be resolved. They'll be resolved. If I don't know that there is a, my analogy that I use a lot, if I don't know that there is a cup of coffee still in my office on the bookshelf and there's a plant coming up out of there because that coffee cup's been there so long, (laughs) you know, I got to deal with that issue. And, and you, sometimes you gotta look for things. Um, and then when you find them, you fix them. Um, my, my, my thing with insurance and the fact that we live in Detroit, people think that everybody that live in Detroit is a murderer, a thief. If you live in Detroit, your car is going to get jacked, stolen. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. I can count on one hand the number of times that I hear a police siren in my community, but That's the stigma that we have to deal with. And so even right now, a lot of us are driving illegally because we can't get just rates on insurance. Right. Um, And just rates, for people who don't understand that, we're not talking about it's a little bit more. It's not like 10% higher. It's like 100% higher. We're paying. Sometimes it's three times as much. Yeah. $2,000, $2,600 for six months. But somebody would be a, a year. That would be a whole year. And that's um, one vehicle. And that's one vehicle. Yeah, that's not. That's just one vehicle. vehicle. And that's just liability. Right. 
That's just just liability. And they are saying that um, they're trying to push no fault. But the thing with no fault is it's just saying that no, you're, you're not at fault. But how do I get my car restored with no fault? You can't. Right. If something happens, you have to move out of your community to get a, a decent this and a decent that. But we got people moving into the community and their insurance is not like that. They're not paying that same insurance for the same address. And that's because of skin color. And so what do we say about that? We pray. There are some people that are saying things about it. I'm not putting down the protesters. I'm not, I'm not, I don't like rioters. I don't like that idea. I don't agree with it just because you don't own it. Don't give you the right to tear it up. Um, and I understand the protests. I do. And so where I come in as a woman of God is to pray with them that, that they will seek God's counsel and he'll lead them in the place that he have all of us go. The leaders, um, the people that's walking, the people that's being affected, the families who've lost loved ones. We deal with that on a daily basis. So we understand from a family's point of view what it's like to see that unrighteousness. But from a Christian, and you move on, but if you read in the scriptures, you read about where priests were killed because of their affiliation with somebody. Killed. Right. And so it's not like God has not seen this, but what he's asking us to do is to just trust in him. He's asking us to have faith in him. Sometimes we will suffer and and it's okay if we're suffering for righteousness sake. And so the conversation that, that we have with families is just to trust God. And I'm praying for you that God will comfort you when we, when, when a tragedy strikes, when we see injustices and we have to pray, Lord, make a way for me. I need insurance. Lord, I got this wonderful car. I want to go places and I need insurance. Make a way. And then we believe that he will make a way, you know, help us to, to, with this racism, there's going to be tough times. And even if racism is not completely knocked out of our nation, God is able to bring us through that valley. He gives us feet like deer to, to be able to go through those obstacle courses, those difficult times. He gives us the feet like a deer. And then when we're going through our valleys, he give us his rod and his staff to comfort us. That's, that's the conversation that I have to have every Sunday with the the congregation. It's always somebody new. I have to encourage our family because so many of our family have now come when they wouldn't come to the church. Now they're coming on zoom. And so they have to hear words of encouragement. We did lose loved ones to COVID. Yeah, we did. You know, we couldn't go see them when they was in the hospital. We And then when we went to the funeral, we had to, we only did two. And we had to sit so far apart, we couldn't connect with one another. So this is it's having an effect. And through all of this, it may look like God doesn't know, he doesn't hear, but he does. And he just wants us to hear what he's saying. If he's breathing life into our bodies, then he wants us to listen. Just, it's okay. It hurts. I'm sure those nails hurt. I'm positive that thorn, that crown of thorns hurt. I'm positive that having nails in your feet hurt, but it didn't last. They sing a song, trouble won't last always. 
God will bring us through this. He'll bring us through the COVID. He'll bring us through the, the racism, the injustices. He'll bring us through this time of separation and he'll bring us together in unity and in peace. But it's hard. It's been a hard season. Very. You worked hard for many years and then in February of this year, you interviewed with the Board of Ministry and received a unanimous vote to be ordained or to be recommended to the district assembly <laughs> to be ordained. And then boom. And then boom, four weeks later, stay at home wow. order. Yeah. So I want to know your honest, what was your first, you can tell me about your second and third reaction in a minute. I want to know your first reaction when you realized you were going to have to wait another year. Hurt. I still hurt. I hurt. And then my second reaction was pain. And then my third reaction was hurt. Because I felt like I was being rejected. And that was my initial. Like, are you kidding? What'd you call me here for? And then I stayed there for maybe a minute. And he said, wait, excuse me, you need a piece of paper? I said, no, but I mean, it's just, I called you. I ordained you. And so I waited some time. And then when the day came, I was just like, oh, I'm so dramatic. I was laid out. I'm so... I was being dramatic at home for you. <laughs> I was just like, I don't want to see social media. I just want to go in my room, put my head under the pillow. And Londell was like, you okay, honey? I made you some coffee. <laughs> but um, it was it was hurt. But then I thought about the question. And that question just, it got so loud in my ear. What will you do if you're not ordained? And I said confidently, truthfully, I'll continue to minister. And what happened? I was not ordained, but I have faithfully been ministering. Yep. Steady on. And then I was like, can't they just like, you know, do a Zoom or something like that? <laughs> you know, and then when we get together, then they can lay hands on us. But I would want the the whole thing. You know, I will want my, my friends and, and my fellow pastors and my mentors and, and every, everybody to be a part because everybody's sold into me. And I think that there's a time for them to celebrate too. I did think about the virtual thing, but then I said, no, you know, each of the candidates that you deserve to have the whole thing. All of us. Yes. Literally laying hands on you. And that's the part. That's the biggest part. It's not the the paper, it's the laying on the hands. Like when we had the one candidate, that was awesome. It was just a blessing because what you see is the presence of God in the lives of people. I know that we have differences. We live in different places and, and all of that, but we have one thing in common, and that is our God. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God and the power and the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for all of us. 
And that's what I want when we come together. Here's, uh, I always ask my interviewees if you were going to give a word of advice to a woman who was wrestling with a call to ministry. Trust God. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. Have faith in God. Have faith in him to bring to pass the vision that he's given you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not your might, not your abilities, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Joshua 3 and, and 5, 3 through 5 talks about the children of Israel crossing the Jordan. Joshua says, follow the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, but you got to stay back. The, the purpose for them staying back to 3,000 feet is so that they could see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And God said the reason that they're following the ark like that is so that they can see where they're going because you've never been to this place before. Being called in ministry as a, a woman, whether you're African-American, Caucasian, whatever, being called to ministry, being called to pastoring, being called to church planting, you've never been that way before. Yep. But if you just keep your eyes on the Lord, his presence, his promise, even when you're going through your valleys, and you're going up and down your mountains. If you keep your eyes on God, he'll bring you through that place that you've never been before. Amen. Amen. He meets our needs. I said, Lord, I need some people to help. And he sends people. And he didn't say, don't tell me where to get them. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. I got them. And he sends them. He sends help. Trust God. Have faith. Be strong in the Lord. Follow him. I would say that. And... um I, I think the last thing is that, you know, that movie, there will be blood. I always have something. There will be something. <laughs> there will be dark days, but God is a present light around us always. Psalm 139, I think it's verse seven. Where can I go to be away from your presence? Nowhere. And so definitely remember that. Definitely. It's a blessing and it's a pleasure. But when you hear God calling you, you answer the call. <laughs>